0: Sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me when we think of our life with the Messiah what what comes to mind
1: well we should recognize that he is he is our life without him you know we were dead in our trespasses and sins we have the foretaste of, of the blessings we have fellowship we have Just the joy, a heart that loves the scripture.
0: All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua. Messiah. King of kings, Lord of lords, yo. Is Wednesday, March thirteenth, two thousand nineteen. This is Messiah Matters number two five seven. Just when I was getting used to room service, I had to come back. My name is Caleb Head. and I found my passport. <laughs> I'm <rubbing> it off. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> uh, awesome. So, you no, know, Israel. Israel does not stamp your passport. They what? give you that little. They give you a little tag. They stamped mine. Did they? Well, they changed their policy. I haven't been there in 20 but that years. That was, what, so. 40, 40 years
0: ago? Yikes. <laughs> oh, oh, harsh, dude. Dude, you and I are
1: drinking from the same rock right now. What's in yours?
0: Coffee. Water. So Rob is uh, Rob is preparing to go to Israel. Woo-woo. And, um, ooh, new kicker. New, uh, we got a new executive producer kicker. Um so he's preparing to go to Israel. He's gonna give this lecture on manuscripts, formation of manuscripts. And uh as is the custom of anyone that's gonna present a paper, your mind is just totally immersed in all things manuscript related. Yes. Um this is true. so that's always fun. And uh yeah. But there's there's more news on that front. We've decided that Rob should give his uh, his findings before he goes over to Israel, and so for a mere ten dollars, you can get a digital ticket to the online event that will be on. When is it? Uh, I should know. This. March twenty eighth, Thursday. Thursday, March twenty PM Pacific Daylight Savings.
1: Yes. or whatever we're called right now. Hey, just to just to clarify.
0: Clarify the- it away.
1: This is going to be what we're we're called this a brief history of of Hebrew Bible manuscripts. So it's going to be more general than my my paper will be really way more specific than what this
0: you had to make it for the common person. <clears throat> I've well, told this story. It's, it's, be- an,
1: it's a big picture kind I tell, of. Thing.
0: I've told this story on on this show before. It's like God, we're hang gliding through the Andes. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm I'm going to tell it again anyway. We go to the uh, SBL and Rob is presenting two papers. He presents in the Missouri section, which it's always above my head, so I I don't even I, I don't even. Attempt anymore. I just, you know, I, there was other things going on. I wasn't gonna go to that, but I wanted to. Greco-Roman uh, meals, baby. See oh, if yeah. it's about food. Caleb will be there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, dude. There's a <laughs> or ancient brewing, ben, beer brewing. Techniques. Ben, in my small group, his he always says that his favorite verse is the. I think it's in Second Samuel where, <laughs> where it talks about they brought ten cheeses. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so so Rob's gonna give another paper at the at the SBL, and I'm like, oh yeah, the Midrash section. Okay, I can get behind this. This will be good. So I go in, I sit down. Rob gets up, and I, I'm just in time. Oh, what's happening? Sorry about that, guys. Anyway, um, Rob gets up, and he's about to. He uh, he he starts giving his presentation now. Within the first. Forty-five seconds. Rob has completely lost me. I have no clue what in the world he's talking about, and I'm I'm trying to like catch back up and figure out what in the world he's you know, and he's showing all these slides and just it's it's like words are coming out of his mouth, but it's like he's speaking Japanese. I know nothing of what he's saying, and so after it's
1: a because I don't remember a word I said either. A, no.
0: After a half an hour or so. Of Rob talking. And once, I never caught back up. He lost me in the first 45 seconds. I never, I have, to this day, I have no clue what he was talking about. Anyway, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, um, that was, that was uh, interesting. It was a bit dry, you know, and I wonder what the reception's going to be, you know, and no offense to you, Rob, but I thought, uh, you know, well, is this really what these people were looking for? Like, did anyone understand what in the world was going on? And then it was hailed as, like, one of the greatest papers in the section, which shows my stupidity. Because everyone else was like, oh, my word, that's the most fascinating thing. I, you should – we're going to publish that. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're publishing it because it was so good. And here I am, the monkey sitting in the corner who can't comprehend the words that have just been spoken.
1: Well, it's a field thing, right? It's It's like baseball. Like, you go to a baseball game. Like, if I go to a baseball game – with friends that are like totally into it, they'll be using lingo. And I'm like, okay, can you explain like what's a designated (laughs) hitter? What can you explain? Like, yeah. Now what's the difference between the, the American league and the, you know what I mean? It's like,
0: so I, I, I assume that Rob's paper in Israel is going to be about the same. However, I have explained to Rob that he needs to dumb it down for the monkey sitting in the corner myself and I believe this is what we will be getting um, on the 28th, yeah. nope. so I, it should be very good, and I'm excited for it. Um, yeah, you want to say anything else? Go to tour resource. Go to tour resource. Yeah, Mike has a nice link up. Yeah, looks great. And
1: I think uh, the, an email went out this morning too, uh, right? Out broad to our mailing list. So
0: right. So uh, go get your ticket now. Ten bucks. Um, and... and you'll get basically you, uh, well something I could share. So you want to
1: have, uh, a good screen if you want to be able to kind of see the manuscripts, because there's a lot of heavy visual element to this. And, but all the images, I think the vast, vast majority, if not all of the manuscript images will be pulled from live libraries like British library, etc. And I'll have links for all those. So people can go and, um, Follow up on those later uh, if they like.
0: And for those in the chat room, Mike just put it in the chat room, <clears throat> so uh, I'll link cool. to it in the chat room. Chat room. Um, and this is
1: cool uh, for another reason, Caleb, is because we've talked about we've wanted to do webinars like this, right? Like even an evening, you know, sure an even evening with a, a chat, the fireside chat, you know, <laughs> with the, with a pipe, you know, get your bubble pipe, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, with a book, you know, and, and crackling a uh, fire in the background.
0: So uh, one of the things that be- happens when I set up for the show is that I bring in an extra keyboard, and I set it up, and then because my normal keyboard is pushed in a different location, for, I think one of my cords is going bad, my mouse Ooh. never works. So if you see me continue to fidget with something, it's so that I can move my cursor because all of a sudden I don't have the ability. Um, okay, here we go. Let's say this. Give us a call, 253 465-3205. It's 253 You can also send us an email. And these are actually really important. See HegatoraResource.com. Our email is actually a very, and the comment line, are a very big part of the show. And this past week uh, on Monday when uh, we sat down to look at uh, what we were going to talk about, we had nothing. Basically, the book that I had that was full of weeks and weeks of content has, has been, we've pillaged it. Um, for content and so um, basically we scratched our heads and said what are we going to talk about now we probably have a full show here but um, nonetheless but even yesterday in the morning we were saying okay what are we going to talk about now that's on us we've been doing this for five or six years now I think it's six years and um, and so uh, you know uh, we've co- continued to come up with content for 257 shows. Maybe not the greatest content, but it is content. It depends normalized. on who you
1: ask. I know some of those.
0: Yeah, uh, seehagatorresource.com though. Whether it's a large question, a small question, a huge topic, whatever you want, uh, let us know your ideas, and we will try to talk about them. You know, somebody actually Ryan, our good friend Ryan, uh, mentioned something about the term fulfilled, and that we have a different understanding to my father on the word fulfilled this is something that we'll have to talk about at a later time uh, I don't think that it's actually a uh, different difference of opinion I don't but I'll I have to go back and listen to all the uh, <clears throat> listen to all the, uh, the clips um, that, that Ryan has mentioned so uh, yeah that'll be a good one okay um, let's see here. So, we talked about the con. Oh, yeah, the conference. I went to a conference, I was over in Moses Lake. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was i uh, first impressions when you walk into this place. Well done. The facility was very nice, full stage, full. I mean, they, they videotaped the whole thing with professional cameras, uh, full wow, soundboard. Cool. Lights, um, backdrops on the stage. I mean, it was nice, and it was it was held at a church, um, and I can tell that the, you know, the, uh, the yeah, it's it's been good anyway. Um, so I walk in oh, the uh, the exhibitors. Uh, I don't. I, I want to call it a corner. The exhibitors' corner was uh, there was five booths maybe, and when I say booth, I mean a table. And uh, just, you know, there was a little walkway. You could hit all just, you know, it's like being in a small little kitchen where you can, you know, you can hit all counters just by turning. Wow. Um, There were some interesting things in the other booths. I'll say that. Um, (laughs) Some of the books I saw were uh, interesting at best. Um, But... I think the highlight for me was being able to connect with uh Shane, who is the leader of uh, a congregation there in Moses Lake and Shane and his wife and his family and then all the the we went my family went on Shabbat also the next day on on Shabbat to uh to their uh, to their congregation. And uh, that was fun. It was great. It was really nice to sit down and connect with people and, and see their community. It's always, it's always nice to go to other communities and see how people do things and, and uh, how things are a bit different and whatnot. So we, we just had a blast. And then, the, I mean, spared at no expense, both at the conference and at the Shabbat meeting, food I mean, I'm sure that we were probably supposed to bring something for the potluck on Shabbat. However, there was so much food yeah there was no need and of course wow. in in uh, you know normal fashion of my family we were i think first in line <laughs> food's up yeah we'll go first <laughs> we'll start out the line uh, no we had elk there was elk roast it was uh, it was fantastic we just had a we we had a really good time um and then we make that trip next next month as well less than 3 3 weeks now uh, we're just going to have a blast over there. I'm very excited. Adam and Mary from Montana are coming over uh, to meet us in Coeur d'Alene. And Sam and Kelly from San Diego are flying up to meet us in right Coeur d'Alene. Actually, I think we're, I should say that we're meeting them. I think since they're, dr- well, yeah, I think they're coming the farthest and they're flying. Uh, so we're coming to see them in Coeur d'Alene. And then uh, our, my, my new friend, Avi. Met him in Colorado. Hey, mine too, man. He's coming up with his, I mean, he's got a tribe. He's bringing seven, <laughs> his seven children and his wife. Uh, they're coming up, which is really, a, I mean. That's a road trip. It's a road trip. I mean, and when not I was only a that- kid,
1: I was one of six. And so we'd have my dad and my mom, six kids in a big station wagon with like a 1968 Pontiac station wagon carrying, then hooked behind that was the trailer. And I remember my little brother and I. It, I don't know if anybody's seen these kind of Pontiacs. It's the very back seat faces, faces out, right? Yeah. yeah. So my brother and I are watching. And one of the weirdest things is when another car's up there, you're just staring, staring at the at driver. Him, right.
0: <laughs> Especially when you come to a stoplight, right? <laughs> it's so awkward. You're just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so oh funny but, but the yeah thing, that's the, th- that's the, admirable man the thing about avi and his family i've never met his wife his wife has never met any of the people that she's going to be hanging out with for over half a week it's gonna be like, fire Hi, hose, like- my <laughs> name is yeah exactly and you know all the intricacies of my family and uh, it's really interesting because everyone thinks I don't, this light again is bothering my nose. Um, everyone, everyone thinks that because I'm outgoing and I'm a personable, you know, like I don't like silence uh, in a group, so um, I tend to create conversation no matter mm-hmm. what. A lot like on this show, right? You know, if there's silence, I try to fill it with uh, with saying something. So everyone thinks that I'm an extrovert. But I'm not. I'm an introvert, and my wife also is probably one of the most pleasant people to to talk to, uh, and to have in a in a group of people because uh, she's just so bubbly and kind and everything. Well, she's an introvert as well. We both uh, we both recharge with silence and being alone, and our children are the same way. They're very outgoing, but we need our time, our downtime. Sure. So uh, when we travel, and especially when we travel with other people. It's always an interesting It's always interesting because people will be out doing stuff and we'll be like, All right, we'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> we're going back to hang out and people are like, What are you doing? Nothing. So it'll be it'll be good though. I'm really excited. And we're going to Heart of Messiah on that Shabbat, which will be really fun. Right. And apparently I have to uh I still have yes. to present something now. Um, you okay. Got it. Well we have a couple of things to talk about. Um, and so we decided, uh, What man, I cannot get this thing to, to work here. Um, one of the things we decided we were going to do was a book review. And so Rob said, well, why don't you just talk about something that you've been reading, uh, or you've read recently that you've liked. And I'll talk about something that I've read recently that I've liked. I think that's a great idea. I love to read. I rarely have time to read. So my reading right now is very slow going. Um, but it is what it is. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I'm happy. I'm
1: happy to go first. Go for it. Um, I've uh, let me find. I had some notes just to believe it or not. Rob actually had notes for the show.
0: Uh, you're more prepared than me than I am <clears> because I did not have any notes.
1: I just got to make this bigger so I can read it. So I'm reading a book by a. I don't know that he's he's a professor of. He's a professor of Catholic studies or something like that. Okay. His name's Paul, Paul J.
0: Griffiths. This is the book. Religious Reading. Religious Reading. By the way, I don't know. We decided that we weren't going to tell each other the books before we came on air. Right, so, right. I did, so I had nothing known, about this yeah. book. Yeah.
1: So it's called Religious Reading, The Place of Reading in the Practice of Religion. And it's, uh, it's funny because you were just talking about time to read, right? This is uh, 1999 Oxford University. And he, Paul Griffiths, it's Paul J. Griffiths. He taught at University of Chicago for many years, and then I think he's at like he's at a different school now, Duke maybe. Um, and he's so he's a his special the specialization is like the Catholic theology, and then ancient Sanskrit Buddhism, like the la, like the texts of ancient Sanskrit. Crazy. And he does that as a comparative religion scholar. And. Um, I'm about maybe a third of the way into it. And then I've read core pieces from later on in the book. It's a dry read. It's, it's, um, it was recommended to me. And I'm glad. I'm glad I got it. I got a good deal online for it. Um, but basically, the, this, is, this is what I'm taking so far. Now, again, I haven't finished the whole book. But he says there are basically two kinds of readers. There's consumerist reading. calls consumer consumerist and then there's religious reading and they're completely different modes of interacting with with a with a message sure and what and so the consumerist the purpose of the consumer reader is to you you buy the book or you check out the book you get the information you need and then you toss the book you don't need the book you take it back library or or you sell it or you give it to the goodwill or whatever right the book has no enduring Value Because you got what you needed from it. And often that is coupled with the production of more books. So like, and he uses academia as a way like, okay, so I'll read 20 books on Paul's letter to the Romans. And I might only agree with half of what three of the books say and the rest I don't like, but I'm, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll scour through them. I'll pull uh, the viewpoints from these guys that I'm going to argue against and dismiss. Right. And and so basically I'm dismissing all these scholars. Right. So I'm, and, and then I produce another book. So I contribute to the, the consumer book industry as an author myself, having been a consumerist reader of this other material. Okay. So that's like one realm. The other realm is the religious purposeful reading. Right. And he says, he says these, these cannot, uh, work together the religious reading is a it's a sacred book you, you don't get rid of the book right the book has enduring value you come to it again and again um you end up memorizing it whether you try to memorize it and you work at memorization or that just you spend so much time with the book that it's just in your heart it's memorized it's it, uh this also has to do with character formation right that you're um you're using the, and re- I remember he's talking religion broadly, even though he's a, he's a scholar of Catholicism and Christian, and he's a, says he's Christian, but he's also a scholar of how ancient Buddhists use sure. texts. And so that's how he does this compare. <clears throat> um, That there's a character formation in the relationship of the religious person with this, with the sacred text. And so it helps them in their religion. Right. Um, So, I, I like, I I like the basic idea and there are some other little things I think that he, that are helpful. But when I think about my own use of books, it, this model falls short for me because here's why I have, I mean, I have books all around me and in the other room that I, now some of them, my wife always lets me know, you need to go through and Get rid of some of your books. The
0: Honey Bucket Guy is in the chat room again. Oh, right on. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> uh, awesome. keep going. forever. Keep going. You've been it forever branded, my friend. You'll <laughs> uh, be known forever. <laughs> oh, hi. Nice to meet you. What do you do? I'm the
1: Honey Bucket Guy. It's like, all right. <laughs> Sorry, keep um, going. So I, I'm surrounded by books. Caleb, you're surrounded by books. It's uh, Right. And so, and then, of course, it's, there's always books you can go through and say, okay, I need to Call my library. I don't, a lot of this stuff I don't need. So,
0: okay. Hang on just a second. Let's pause so, right there because this ties into something that was in the chat room. Somebody asked roughly how many books do we have? This is a, this is a loaded question. And the reason why is because I have duplicates of what my father has a lot of du- duplicates. Now I do have uh, about half my library stuff that is not on my dad's shelf. My dad's library is about 6,000 theological books. It takes, he converted his garage into his library and I've I think I've done some live video of of me walking through the library. Um, And now it's like this. Now it wasn't always like this. But now the library separates my father and my desk. So we have to walk through the library to get to each other's desk, which is nice. It gives us a little bit of space. Um, At home, I have about 600 books. Um, Now, these aren't books that you just pick up and read, though. You know, I have, um, for instance, I have John Calvin's uh, commentary on... um, on the entire Bible, and that's a huge work. I mean, it's volumes right, right. and volumes. I have Matthew that's Henry's— That's at least three volumes. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think it's 20, 25 no, it's to 30 you. volumes. Um, I have Matthew Henry's uh, works on— I have the entire Kyle and Dalich uh, commentary on the Old Testament. I have um, the entire Encyclopedia Judaica. I have—so a lot of what I have at home are reference books— that i have wanted to that i use w- if i'm studying at home which doesn't happen very often um i normally study here at the office because the library is so much more vast with that said i just purged a significant portion of my library and the reason why was because we moved things around my wife finally allowed me to bring the books into the living room, which was they were always back in the back room. She didn't really like them, but we rearranged and and uh, she's pregnant so that you know she's nesting, so everything has to be moved around well moving those moving six hundred books is a is a feat in and of itself but um i have I had two full shelves on Judaism and Jewish mysticism now I've written on Jewish mysticism before and I've spoken I've done 3 lectures in the Philippines on Jewish mysticism. And so these books at one time were a very large portion of what I was reading and what I was diving into. And I realized that I was out of room on my shelves. I'd filled all three bookshelves up with 600 books, roughly 600 books. 613. And I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to do? Obviously I'm I'm getting more books. Pretty much every month I, I get at least a, a book or two. Um, my father will find really good books, reference books and whatnot that he already has, but he'll find them on, on like the dollar table at half price books. So mm-hmm. what's a dollar or two, you know? So he'll pick up a couple of books and then I'm always first in line. If, you know, basically I get first dibs on right. any book, books that he grabs. Um, so basically I thought, okay, I have to get rid of some books so that I can get new books and so I just pulled off a significant portion of the two shelves of Jewish mysticism I got rid of all of my books from Rabbi Nachman which at one time I was very excited about and now I look at them and think this is all just complete nonsense and what, basically what I did, and this was difficult, what I did was I looked at, at my book collection on these two shelves and I said, what is actually going to benefit my spiritual life and help me grow in faith? And anything that right. didn't I- instantly speak to me and say this, or what, what will I not need to reference in the next couple of years? And so I took two, uh, I took a, a shelf and a half of books off of my shelf and i have someone who gets first dibs on my books usually um if somebody in the office doesn't want them then uh there's somebody that has usually has first dibs and then after that yeah, whoever's around i have a place where but here's the thing this is the other you know this is the other dilemma of getting rid of these these books do i give them away i mean honestly there are people who are into all things jewish and so they see something by rabbi nachman who is a you know, is a staple uh, writer within Judaism today, even though he died back, you know, hundreds of years ago. And they want to grab it just because. They think they want to read through it. But it, it, it literally is just total and complete nonsense. There's very, if it's, if it's not beneficial, it's not beneficial at best. At worst, it's detrimental to someone who may be reading it. So, did you just throw those ones away? What'd you do? They're still sitting in a box. Oh, uh, you haven't, you know, yeah. for the person who gets first dibs.
1: Yeah, there's books I own that I do not want to put back in circulation. For that saying, I, that I, I don't want. I don't think other people should be reading.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs>
1: and you know, it's like, you know, what? That's just that's like my opinion, man. <laughs>
0: I don't even have my soundboard open today. It's, it's, it's been a day. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes.
1: So we're wrapped. We're, we're surrounded by books. And I started thinking, I'm like, okay, if I look at my reading behavior, you know, I, I can appreciate the idea of someone who's got a regular time and place and like maybe early morning, they get a cup of coffee, the whole house is quiet. They turn on a little lamp and they, they have their devotional time or maybe it's at nighttime husband and wife, or maybe it's family, you know, after dinner, Wh- whatever it is. And it's, it's a daily or fairly, you know, recurring frequent um, routine of sitting, reading the word and talking about it together. Okay. That's a re I would say that's religious reading. Right. And, uh, so I can understand that, but, but then I also, but, I'm wondering what I haven't seen addressed in in Griffith's book here is the idea what What about the translator? Which world is he in? Does he have one world? Let's say Let's say I'm a religious reader who's also a translator. So do I have one foot in the world of let's say the Hebrew text of Genesis, right? And that's where I'm like I, I have a you could say it's a devotional religious reading, right? but there's no english i'm not i'm not translating it yet i'm just you know chewing on the text and as part of a religious reading well then but then it's like i want to communicate this to english people who don't have access to the space that i'm in right sure. now so i translate it and then i create basically a a world in the english so let's say that let's say you have someone who has a devotional time every day and they're reading through let's say the nasb okay their religious time with the word of course the ruach uh if, if you know if you're born again you have the spirit and you can grow and you're in this world but a part of the reality is is the the language that and all the decisions that there, there's millions probably of decisions that were made to produce that book and that that specific translation that are off your radar they're unseen unseen decisions unseen teams of people um And, and, you know, the business of the bookmaking is behind that. And so I can see how, and this is the nuance I'm not getting from this book. Like there's a a differentiation of religious kinds of reading. I could read there. I mean, you could find someone who's a Mormon and they read the book of Mormon and you could say, yeah, they, they are religiously reading the book of Mormon. You know, they do a devotional with it, but they they could inhabit that world their whole life and never, and never have it pierced and never have it, uh, shown to be false. Right. And that's, that's the issue that I'm, I'm concerned about with this book that, I, that I haven't gotten my head around yet. It seems that there, if we're going to divide different modes of reading and, and here's a, another aspect to this is that before the printing press and he and Griffiths gets into this in the ancient world, people's type of reading was through listening. Right. Right? I mean, the, like you'd go into the synagogue and someone would read the scriptures and everybody would listen. Most of the people, you know, might not even be able to read if they had the text in front of us, right. in front of them. So their exposure in most of human history, the Bible was received by the believers, not through direct reading of themselves, but for, from having a reader and then having it listened, listening to it and taught. So their worship. their worshipful interaction with the word of God was mediated through that person who, who did that. In our day, we, we can kind of become consumerists in our reading of the Bible. You just pick it up and you don't even have to sound out the words. You can just sit and just read with your eyes and you never even have to bring the words out into the air. Right. And, and so I like that Griffiths is getting into this, issue he's, no. he's he's kind of getting into the arena and trying to to make sense of it and and he wants to separate consumerist really reading from religious reading i just think i need a more i need a better model because it doesn't exactly gel with my own experience
0: do you now are you reading this book in tandem with your research for the paper you're doing in israel or is it yeah. totally separate okay yeah. yeah okay
1: well because and the reason why is because i'm trying to understand i'm trying to understand how different scholars and, and don't get me wrong. Paul Griffiths is a super, I mean, this is hard to read I mean, he's this guy, like, I feel like the monkey in the back of the room, like when I'm reading this, <laughs> I have to go back and I have to read sentences over and over again. I have to mark it. Okay. This, you know, So this
0: isn't a book that you're telling listeners, Hey, this is something you should go out and, and buy. Yeah.
1: I'm not, I, I I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm not saying it sucks. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not expecting people to, to go buy it. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, I'm just telling you about a book I'm reading. Right. And gotcha. what my, but yeah, I'm trying to get into the modes. What motivates. Okay. So there it is. So then you get to this. If I'm a religious reader, you know, most of the, most of the library of, of the world, it's like a huge chunk of it is commentaries on, on sacred scripture, whether it's Christian commentary on the Bible or, Jewish commentary on the Tanakh or even um, the, you know, Muslim commentary on the Quran, right. Buddhist commentary. Like most of the most of all this stuff is commentary and the commentary. And this is something that Griffiths gets into. Commentary is the product for the most part of religious readers. In other words, they're interacting with the text. Caleb, you know this because you're writing on Acts right now. <clears throat> and then you have your purpose. What's the purpose of your commentary? Are you trying to teach something are you trying to argue something, right? But that then is another product, right? Another religious product. Well, if I think of the Masoretic enterprise as a type of religious product, in other words, the book of the Mass, what well, you know, and scholars say, well, why did, why did they do this? Were they trying to save Hebrew from the Arabic influence, you know, or were they, um, you know, trying to show off how, mu- how well they knew the Tanakh? Were they trying to create a legal structure to protect future scribes from corrupting the text? You know, there's all sorts of different sure. reasons that, that people say that's why the Masoretes produced these books in the 10th century. And so I'm using Griffiths as just another way to think about it. Not that I'm going to, like, obviously, like I've said, I'm not that I buy or find everything he has to say helpful. So I'm looking. I'm kind of approaching his book from a consumerist kind of view, I guess. But, you know, there's a lot of books I have that are scholarly, that are not Bible, they're not scripture, but I keep them because I value them and I do return to them again and I do pause and chew on like the ideas because they're they're authors and scholars that I respect and that I've gotten a lot of value from. But that doesn't, but so in a way, that's where another place where it seems like Griffith's model breaks down. It seems like there would be just academic books that he might think I read religiously because I ponder them. I'm kind of meditating on on it in a way, not that it's, I'm not taking it as scripture, but that I'm trying to understand an idea that, that is helpful in my own development. So anyway, I I feel like I've been talking forever on this.
0: Okay. I went in a totally different direction with my, with the book that I chose. Um, uh... Normally, like Rob, I'm reading things for whatever I'm studying. So currently, I'm, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going back and forth between three commentaries on the Book of Acts because I'm writing on Acts. So that's, uh, you know, my headspace is very much in there. However, I always have another book or two that I'm reading as well. A lot of the time, what'll happen is I'll pick books up. I'll get halfway through or three quarters of the way through and I won't finish them for one reason or another I'll lose interest a lot of the time I just lose interest by the end I feel like I've gotten the gist of what someone's saying and so I'm just done um, and I think one of the reasons that is is because um, a lot of what I read is in fact scholarly so it's not you know it's not something that the average person picks up and looks at and says oh this looks great I'm gonna read you know this thing on <laughs> I don't know I don't know, this in-depth look at Philippians 2 or, you know, something like that. But those are the kind of books that I'm constantly reading, you know. And when I want to break from things, this is no joke. Uh, the uh, Probably about six months ago, I thought, man, I've been reading such heady stuff and things that are so specific. I was reading a, uh, a rundown of Codex Bizet, which was fascinating, but just super in the weeds for anyone who um, you know, isn't into that kind of thing. Um, and so I thought, well, I need a break. I need something that's not as heady. So I picked up NT rights to volume commentary on Paul, which is, I don't know. I don't know how many pages it, it pages, it pages it is. I think it's maybe 1500 pages. And once again, it's heady, but it's it's right. So it's not, it's not like that specific study. So okay. with all of that said, uh, several weeks ago, my family was at a church that we frequent on a regular basis, and uh, the teaching is just fantastic and uh, one of the pastors got up and said, "We have a couple of books on the back table. Um, if you have you know a couple bucks, put it in there, but if you don't, just take them because we we think they're really good books." And uh, so we want you to have them. And I thought, you know, a lot of the time when when churches give away books like that, I'm like, eh, you know, what is this going to be? Surface level, very, you know, fluff is kind of what I think when I think of a church giving away a book. Because the book ultimately has to reach people on every level, right? The, you know, the brand new believer, they have to be able to read it as well. But I went back and I asked, okay, what book do you th- – because I didn't have any money. And so I said to the person back, back at the table, I said, look – I don't have any money. What book out of the two do you think would be the best? And he handed me the book I'm about to show you. And then I looked at it and I thought, this does not look good at all. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Ay, fey, this is, what kind of a read is this going to be? Um, and so I went back to the table and I said, I'm actually going to take the other one. And he said, I'll tell you what, you just take both of them. Oh, wow. And if you if, you know at some point you want to put a couple bucks in the offering plate, that's fine. But just consider it a gift. I said, okay. So I went home. I took the initial book that he had given me, the one that I wanted to take back. I sat down on that Sunday. This is maybe two weeks ago. I sat down on that Sunday. I opened it up. I thought, I would, I thought to myself, you know what? I'll read one or two pages and just kind of get a flavor for the author. I couldn't put it down. It was probably one of the best non-theological books I've ever written, read in my life. Um, it's called... It's a new book. It's by uh, Rosaria Butterfield and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And basically, it's all about, uh, well, practic- uh, practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post Christian world. She is uh, just a fascinating, fascinating person to read about. She uh, grew up in the, uh, well, she grew into the LGBT community. She was a, leading uh, uh, advocate for gay and lesbian rights in New York uh, in the 90s. Uh, She was a lesbian herself and and, uh, was living with her partner. And uh, she was a professor at Syracuse uh, in New York, uh, an English professor, which is one reason I think she is such a fantastic writer. Um, Sure. And she uh, was helping, she was a champion in the in the gay and lesbian community. She was actually helping write um, bills for equal rights. And wow. she decided that she was going to do a book on uh, on how Christianity was wrong, essentially. She told all of her students that you can't, critique a book unless you read the book. And so she had written a piece in a newspaper and a pastor had uh, written to her about the piece in the newspaper and said, I would like to uh, talk to you about it. Well, she kept coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it. And finally, she thought, I should get a hold of this guy. She started going to his house, uh, his, him and his wife's house on Sunday nights and having dinner with them. And uh, this pastor would open his home up to anyone and everyone who wanted to come and eat at their house. And so through that, she came to uh, start going to church with them and eventually came to Christ and left the LGBT community, married her now husband, who is a pastor of a very conservative Presbyterian church. And uh, this book is actually not about her coming to Christ. She wrote that in a different book. This book is actually about their her and her husband's outreach in their community, and but uh, using the same. Yeah, she tells uh, a lot uh, about her story. Yeah she she tells a lot about her story, and then um, the way that she writes, you know, once again, it's just I can tell that she's a professional writer. You know she'll she starts she'll start a section with you know uh, Monday, February twenty eighth, two thousand eight. And then she'll she'll dive into the story, but then she leaves these stories. You want it to resolve. You want to know what happened, you know. And she never tells you, which is brilliant because there's this sense of I want to know more throughout the entire book. Um, and so basically, her point is, and I'm not saying that I agree with the entire book, but her point is is that when we open our homes to our neighbors, and to our community around us. Not rolling our eyes, not judging people who are going to come to dinner, but opening our homes and letting our homes be a jump point for believers and non-believers alike. And we don't try to judge people or or, or smash people over the head with the Bible, but live our faith and live it openly and fully in front of people. Being the conservative Christian or whatever it is that you know opens their home to anyone and everyone, Um, this speaks the gospel to people in mighty ways. That's the, uh, that's the thrust of the book. Um, and honestly, I, I, I can't, I think some people will take issue with the book, honestly, but just for the writing style alone, she's such a good writer. And, um, you know, I know that she probably was writing with a female audience in mind, maybe not. But she really is cross cross denomination and cross uh, audience. You know, I think that her book really spoke to me in many ways, and I'm sure it would speak to my wife in different ways. Um, But what she said, you know, she talks about. A lot of different aspects of life. She has stories about her mother, who was an atheist until two days before she died, and wow. uh, the wow. uh, you know her mother living with them for thirteen months or sixteen months, or and uh, you know how hard that was for them. Um, she talks about um, church discipline and having to bring church discipline on people in the church. Um, she talks about her next door neighbor, who um, she calls Hank, but I know that his name was different, uh, but he. Uh, him and his girlfriend had a a house in their neighborhood, four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, um, and he got busted for having a meth lab, and so the fallout that came with the neighbors, wonder you know, because they were essentially wow. um, inviting this guy into their home and whatnot and, and having meals with him, and so. The idea of what the neighbors thought when he got busted with a meth lab, and um, how they continue to visit him in prison. And it just, I mean, it's just a the whole book all around is is the and I will say the name of it again for uh, the people in the chat room who are asking. It's called "The Gospel Comes with a House Key." It's by Rosaria Butterfield, and uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. And I just picked up the other book that the church was giving away because uh, I'm pretty much done with this. I'm in the conclusion. Um, but I, I picked up the other book while we were in Moses Lake and it's a little bit more, you know, I see exactly what he's doing. I've wanted to write the exact same book, but his introduction to the gospel in the first two or three chapters, just unbelievable. And actually he's a pastor here in Bellevue, uh, which is about what, 30 minutes away from me, cool. 30, 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, but i i, I think that uh, I think that no matter if you agree or disagree with Butterfield's uh, conclusion on Christian hospitality, which I tend to agree with, um, for the most part, um, whether you agree or disagree, I think that her book is uh, is worthy of of reading. It's definitely not scholarly, um, but you can get it online for a uh, a very it's inexpensive, and it's not scholarly at all. You don't need any Hebrew, any Greek. She uses endnotes, which is one of my pet peeves. Oh, because you have to flip to the back. You have to flip to the back, and I think the endnote should be eradicated from publications. However, that being said, she's she knows her audience well enough to know that her audience isn't going to be footnote heavy, and so there's not a whole lot of endnotes in and of themselves, which is fine. The kind of book that it is, she doesn't need that. Um, but she does reference a couple of things that I found to be very interesting. Her and her family uh, sing the Psalms, and so she references a Psalter that they use, which I now have, uh, have looked at and am looking to purchase. Actually, another book that I need to purchase, the, <laughs> this is totally off subject, but thanks a lot, Rob, for this. Um, mm-hmm. it, Rob sends me a link, and it's the group that I was at the SBL, it, the main group that I was listening to is Meals in the Greco-Roman World. Uh, a, a collective group of authors from that from that uh, group at the SBL have put together a book. Hundred and thirty pounds. That's like a hundred and sixty bucks. Yeah, I have to get it. It's called Meals in the Greco-Roman World. I mean, so I know what I, I'm saving up my. Uh, I'm saving up my shekels for that one. <laughs> Okay, we got about uh, 13, 14, 15 minutes something like that. You want to talk about Romans 14. Well, I think we just
1: touched on did we touch on it last week just a little bit? I don't but, even know if or or maybe we didn't on it. get to it.
0: I think we mentioned um the
1: chapter. Romans Romans 14 is one of those verses that people will cite, right? Oh, you know, um you can eat whatever you want because of Romans 14, right? Or if 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 Mark 7 didn't get it and so I thought, and someone had asked us about Romans 14. And so I thought I would just give a super di- uh, trimmed down, um, you know, version of how I understand this passage, particularly uh, fourteen one through verse 23.
0: That's the whole of 14. One through 23 is the entire chapter.
1: No, I think, I think it's more than that, isn't it? Nope,
0: I don't think so. I'll look. Oh no, you're right. <laughs> so particularly the whole so chapter, so the,
1: the bookends, in my <laughs> view, are actually coincide nicely with the, with the numbering there. But what you don't want to do is read like the King James. In Romans fourteen, and the reason why, oh, unless you're wise up to their, um, you know, they were limited in their manuscripts. They didn't have a whole bunch of uh, available manuscripts, and so. One of the um, places where it, um, where is it? Is it verse 5 and 6? No, verse 6. Verse 6 is bigger in, is it verse 6? Oh, sorry.
0: You can tell that we're really prepared for yeah. this conversation. <laughs> anyway, I
1: think it, there's, there's a verse in there where it adds
0: Oh, right, 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 right. We've talked about this on the show. Yeah, yeah.
1: So like the NASB said in verse six, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord and gives thanks. The King James follows this, um, you know, this, whatever we call it, the received, you know, the Texas Receptus. And it says, he who regards the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it." it. They added this extra bit. No ancient uh, manuscripts have this, and it's just—so this is uh, one of those places where they added. Um, But the bookend, then, is verse 1 and verse 23, and it has to do with a person who is not living by faith but is doubting. And the language of the doubting is— contrasted by faith in the Gospels and elsewhere in the apostolic writings. Like when Yeshua says, you know, if, you know, if you have faith, but you don't doubt in your heart. Right. So these are contrasted and there's, uh, or he'll ask, why do you doubt in your heart? Right. In other words, it has to do with someone who is not, um, they're not living fully out of faith. They're, they're sitting there, you know, judging within themselves and usually judging other people right and like for one of the one of the examples would be where they're going to watch yeshua to see if he breaks the sabbath and they're going to pounce on him right it's that kind of thing so what paul's talking about in romans 14 1 is that if someone comes in and they're says they're weak in the faith that you can you they they're welcome however not not to give space for in the NSB says uh, passing judgment on opinions, and it's weird. I don't like the NSB. It says passing judgment on his opinions. Uh, the the his the genitive there is not in the Greek. That's interpretive. It means the uh, this meal time, this fellowship time, is not a time for people to get in arguments or judge each other for what they're eating. So while he does start, he does talk about uh, observance of days in here, that's only secondary to this main topic, which is meal, meal mealtime. And the the best way, I think, to make, uh, to explain what's going on here in Romans 14 is if you imagine, just imagine you have a meal and you've got nice fruits and veggies and then you have some sort of meat. Now, there's no reason to presume that there would be pork on this table. So uh, now some might argue, well, there's probably pork on the table, you know. Well, that would be it. We can have that discussion also, but I, I'm going to assume right now that we can just all agree this is this is an inter-Jewish problem, and then Gentiles come, and the, gen, the gen, presence of the Gentiles does not change the fundamental nature of the problem. The fundamental nature of the problem is this is under the line of like Romans or Matthew 15, you know, you didn't wash your hands right? or you're everybody else is fasting and you're not fasting. We're talking about that kind of thing. Um, and so there's meat there and there's vegetables. Okay. So some, and assume that these are all, this is a fellowship, right? right? So this, the hosts and the general overall tone of this, of this gathering is one of believers. Even though there might be some people who are willing to be there, but they're not really sure, you know, if they're in or not, right? But they're there and they feel welcome. Okay, so that's the scenario, in my view, is going to get you the proper understanding of this. And what would happen, though, and this is what Paul is trying to teach uh, the Romans about, is is his understanding and his approach to this kind of, it's kind of like what we, in rabbinic terms, a halakhic issue.
0: Right.
1: You have some people come and they're let's say they're not normally there. They come. This is somebody else's house. They've never been in this house. They see all this food and they see the meat there. So the issue is not that it's that it's pork. the 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 issue is that it's meat, but they don't know. Well, maybe was it offered to idols? You know, I don't know. So what they're going to do is they're just going to go. They'll go through the table and they're just going to eat Skip, vegetables. Yeah. Right. And there's going to be another guy in line behind him and he's going to get a big old piece of the meat on his plate. Right. I'm just imagining this. What Paul's saying is kind of like
0: me at Shabbat, this last Shabbat, (laughs) just scooping elk roast on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So someone Paul's saying this is a classic. That's the setup. And this is a classic scenario for an argument on. On traditions of men and how communities then can divide over traditions of men because one guy's going to say I can eat this meat the other person say no you shouldn't eat that meat and they're going to they could judge each other wrongly but they can judge uh, set themselves up as judges of each other with respect to their attitude and what paul says is that if if it gets to that that you you can't receive people you can't welcome people in if that's their go-to if they're going to be people and that and they're going to you know that that's the person that's going to go to the line and they're going to start saying hey i can't believe you guys have this meat here like who's eating that oh you're eating that you know that's that's paul saying you 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 have to those people can't even are, are not even in right? somebody
0: yeah. somebody is in the chat room just said wow it so, sounds like such a modern problem yeah it sounds like every hebrew roots and messianic congregation that i've ever mm-hmm. been to well, I
1: mean, it was the same thing, like with the washing of the hands and the the uh, the, all, you know, all these kind of things, washing the hands, fasting. Did you immerse before you eat? You know, these sort of things. OK, so did you say a blessing right before you ate that orange or apple? Right. Um, and so these sorts of things were issues. So what what Paul's getting in here is is that core issue. And he he goes on, and he. Um, I'm going to skim through just for the sake. Yeah, he of time. talks about
0: he talks about the same thing in First Corinthians, right? Well, here he 11? doesn't talk about
1: idols, though. That's why I think I don't know that that uh, the 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 general legal or halakhic, if we use that term anachronistically, um, angle that Paul's taken here uh, doesn't matter whether a meat sacrificed to idol, it has been thrown into the air or not. It could just be improperly slaughtered. Right. Right. Or it's suspicious. Right. A Gentile slaughtered it maybe. Right. So it's suspicious for some reason, not necessarily because it's, uh, uh, was offered to idols or because it was like pork or something. But basically if you go to down to 13, he says, we don't put it, we're not to put a stumbling block in front of another's, Right. But then he says in 14, I'm convinced in Lord Yeshua that nothing is now it shouldn't say unclean here, It right. just says koinos in itself. But to him who Hang on, calls wait, it, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, you got to describe that word oh, okay, to yeah, yeah. people. Well, I, w- I will.
1: But my point is that unclean makes you think if this is back to that religious reading. The the devoted christian reader here is going to read unclean and they're going to think oh that's unclean like leviticus 11 and oh nothing's unclean in of itself oh but to him it's unclean oh so jesus did away with the food laws and now and see that's where they go and that's part of their religious world now that they inhabit and that's our challenge is to say wait a minute i love you dearly but that's not what Scriptures are saying, and the and the translators here have done us a disservice.
0: We still haven't coin, described coynos. Yeah.
1: <laughs> long story short, coynos here, as it's used elsewhere, is an innovated term. This is a, a a recent term in the first century. It's not used in the Greek of the Tanakh at all. It's um, and it's a tradition of it's a it's like a it's like a uh, not just a kosher stamp, but it's a certain brand. Of unkosher, it's like instead of instead of a kosher stamp, (laughs) it's an it's an uncoat. Like let's say there's a you have the circle the U with the circle on it, Orthodox Union. You could have like it's a circle with a with a slash through it. Right. So it it would be like unacceptable, unacceptable, unacceptable. Man made unacceptable though yeah it's but it's man made right. and but it's but it's it has currency people are they think that this is a real thing right Touched they, by a again, Kyle, we point can't us. Uh, uh Paul just like Yeshua in the gospels is saying the same thing it is on us to discern between the tradition of men and the word of God and it's not self evident in our lives where that line is and we have to search a matter out right so what this uh that nothing has been stamped in and of itself as this, 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 this is, in other words, this is a man-made thing to the person who considers it to him. It's that. So that means the guy who's got his little mental, uh, avoid stamp and he just goes, Punk. well, to him, he put the label on there to him. He, he, that he considers that, um, off limits. Right. It, it could be a nice piece of beef, but he just has some reason. Oh, well, I know the guy who did it, and he's suspicious. So, the kosher, the,
0: yeah, the kosher, the koshering facility, uh, the people who koshered it aren't as stringent as this group over yeah, here. So yeah. we're going to. And say this is not
1: surprising if you look at all the different differing kosher certifications in even Orthodox world, right? Was it slaughtered properly, right? And that's where you get into the the Jewish mysticism again with with, with the reincarnation. Did right. you let the nefesh uh otherwise you might be consuming the nephish of a of an Israelite, right? I mean that's that's the Lurianic Kabbalah. Is that if you eat meat that was not that has the uh an un an unstrict kosher standard, and it has blood in it, you could actually be consuming the reincarnated nefesh of <laughs> It sounds weird, but it's, you know, that's the deal. But obviously back in the, we don't have evidence of that in the first century being a a concern, but, um, but so then he goes here and he goes on and he keeps talking about how to navigate this, right? How to navigate this. Um, We are to pursue things which make for peace and building up each other. And then he says, oh, all, all things indeed are clean, but they are, uh, they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Okay. This is an important verse that I don't like the way it's, it's translated. Um, it, what is, what is saying here where this is, uh, uh, Romans 14 verse 20, but it's the second half of the, of the sentence. The pantamen kathara just means all the things on this table that we were just talking about, all the things that were available to eat are kathara. And that's the word. That's the Bible word. Are pure. Are clean. Not all, not spiders are, are doesn't mean spiders are clean. It doesn't mean frogs are now clean. Right? It doesn't mean you can eat a horse. That's not what this means. It just means all that it, it's talking about the meal that you're at and the people have put on this food. He's saying all the food is pure, but it is. But for the person who is wrapped up in this um, uh, hostility to what other people are eating and what they're eating, like because of what's what's here in the meal to them, it's evil. Right. Right. So the purity of that food doesn't help them. In other words, let's say I'm the, let's say I'm that guy. Okay. And Caleb, I just met you. You invite you, you're, you're practicing this new book, right? And you have this big uh, food and you've got vegetables, you've got fish and you've got some elk there. Okay. And I come and I'm, let's say I'm all, yeah, I've been immersed in these Rabbi Nachman books, right? <laughs> or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just kind of checking people out. And then I'm, I start making a stink about, about the food, right? Well, Paul's point here is it doesn't matter. The purity of the food on the table does not help me in my relationship to God.
0: So there, this is, there's an, I think I'm going to eat it.
1: And I might think, well, I'm only going to eat these vegetables because the vegetables are the only thing I know are pure. But if I, but if I'm making a stink about the other stuff, me eating the me eating just the vegetables does not commend me before God. It's I still got this this grumbly, judgmental, arrogant attitude that's stinking up my heart and the whole room probably.
0: But I think that it goes further than that. So, for instance, when I was over in Moses Lake this last weekend, one of uh, the brothers that I met there, wonderful, wonderful to talk to him. Um, he was raised, and his bro- his brothers are. Um, uh, still serving in the fundamentalist Baptist denomination, which is where, uh, like, Stephen Anderson comes from. So Stephen Anderson, KJV only. If you drink any alcohol, um, you're not one of us. And, you know, Jesus didn't drink alcohol. He drank grape juice. This is, I mean, these are the fundamentalist Baptist beliefs. And he was talking about how his brothers kind of point to the Hebrew Roots and Messianic movement, and he got people who are drinking wine and, and beer, and it's kind of like, see, these guys aren't— And so, you know, I think of the idea of somebody comes into my house, if I serve beer and they're going to be, you know, if I have beer there and they're going to be offended by that, then what's better to do? To say, well, get over it, or we don't hold those beliefs, or to just pull the beer and say, let's have have grape juice tonight, or, you know, something like that. So I think this is what Paul's, you know, Paul's looking at it from both, he's kind of coming at it from both points of view. He's coming at it from the person who's there. And saying, D- "Don't worry about what they're serving," but at the same time, he's saying, "At the same time, don't you know if this person's going to be offended by it, pull it. Who cares? You right.
1: know." No, that's a that's a good point. And I, I, again, each verse needs to be uh, <laughs> just go straight to the here.
0: dessert. Exactly, straight to the dessert.
1: And then at the very end here in chapter of chapter fourteen, to twenty three, um, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. So this the doubter there, this is ba- this takes us back to verse one, to this, uh, the diachronomas, right? Diachronomos, right? That's the that's the 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 same word that we see in a diachrisis right there in in verse one. So there's a the idea of the person who comes to the meal, and then there's a, a way to have a shalom in the meal. But if there's a person who's bound and determined to find fault in all this stuff, that doesn't help them before God. They might think, they might imagine, oh, I'm being godly, you know. Now, so then you secondarily you say, okay, well, let's say there's pig on the table. Well, I don't think Paul's imagining at all. Um, He's talking about foods that are pure right (laughs) food um it's so funny and then that gets us back to the you know because we're the readers in in particularly in america english evangelical circles are are absolutely imagining ham on the table
0: right of course
1: and that's that's uh an anachronism right i mean the verse that no one has is in the bible even in these these added versions like the King James with the text Receptus, there is no verse that says, and they all sat down and ate, ate pork, yeah. ate a barbecue pork. They, okay. We just don't, there, there's no evidence whatsoever from the apostolic writings. There's no evidence that Yeshua or any of his disciples ever ate any biblically unclean food. There's no evidence, just as there's no evidence that Noah ever did, which kind of takes us back to last week. We just don't have any evidence of that. And so to push that and get people to thinking that it is was quite an an accomplishment that people actually believe that now, but it's not in the scripture.
0: Um, I want to make sure that I said this right. The book that I was talking about, The Gospel Comes with a Housekeep, is by Rosaria Butterfield. Did I say Rosaria or did I say Gloria?
1: I just remember Butterfield. Yeah,
0: it's by Rosaria Butterfield. Anyway, um, for the people who have been looking for it, you can find it on uh, christianbooks.com. It has it for $9.99, and Amazon has it for $14.99. Okay, well, it's been a fun conversation. Uh, We've had right around 36 listeners the whole time. Wow, right on. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so we hope that you've enjoyed it. And we do really want you to send us emails with ideas and show topics and all that kind of stuff. And you can do that by sending it to... Hang on just a second. Let me see here. That's the comment line. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. And then chagatorresource.com. It's chagatorresource.com. Next week is going to be in the Purim um, in the during the Purim week so um, if right. you have questions about Purim if you have questions about or comments about the book of Esther or something that you find interesting or whatever it may be send them to us because next week maybe we'll talk about maybe we'll do something on, on um, Purim that'd be fun I think alright we hope this conversation has done one thing that is to glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah why? because Messiah matters